week's episode of Discovering Trek is brought to you exclusively by Fansets. Later on in this episode, we'll have a special discount offer just for Discovering Trek listeners. Discover a whole new universe of pin collectibles with Fansets online at fansets.com. A reunion, a revelation, and an evolution. Episode 6 of Star Trek Discovery ushered in a confident and fearless Saru as he returned to his beloved home planet of Kaminar to investigate the latest in the Red Burst mystery, while Dr. Culber is trying to figure out how to be alive again. I guess it's all part of the great balance. Welcome aboard, everyone. My name is Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome one and all to Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion, presented by Fansets. Ever since Bowie Kim and Erica Lippold gave us the remarkable short trek, The Brightest Star, late last year, I've been wondering if and when we would, we would revisit Saru's homeworld, and I'm glad we didn't have to wait long. These two brilliant writers did it again with this week's episode, and Saru's return was not like anything he or we could have expected. Add to that some awkward moments in sickbay with Dr. Culber trying to figure out who he is now, plus the return to the central storyline of the Red Bursts and the Red Angel, we were gifted with yet another amazing Star Trek story. As always, this is the premiere podcast for the most in-depth discussion and analysis about the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery entitled The Sound of Thunder. With so much to get into, I think it's time to bring in my trusted partner to break it all down. And, you know, sometimes I'm not sure if he's a big, scary, icky monster coming out of the black goo or if he's my Red Angel coming to save the day. But I do know this. He's my very special friend, my brother in Trek, and my amazing number one. He is Bill Smith. Bill, welcome aboard, buddy. And before I get started, I cannot thank you or our dear friend Barry DeFord for filling in for me last week as I dealt with the passing of my father-in-law. Thank you, my dear friend, and thank you to all the listeners who voiced their condolences over the past week. Sue and I greatly appreciate it. Buddy, it's good to have you back. I'll tell you this. You make hosting Discovering Trek look really easy. Um, it is not, as Barry and I found out last week. So it's good to have you back, and it's good to be back in uh, in the chair where I belong. And, and might I add, hashtag icky black goo. Yes, I like that <laughs> hashtag. Let's use it. Let's do it. <laughs> It's, uh, it's good to have you back. It's good for me to be back, actually. And uh, as, as we have seen week after week, uh, the, the, the latest episode of Discovery just continues to hit it out of the park. I'm waiting for one that's going to be kind of a downer because it can't keep at this level, can it? Well, it has so far. So we got a lot to talk about today. And I got to say, we got a really special guest sitting in with us uh, to talk about The Sound of Thunder. Why don't you tell us who we got here sitting? I'm looking at his smile right now, and he looks marvelous, I got to say. Oh, he, he's our guest? <laughs> no, no, I'm no, 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 no. <laughs> Dan, he's one of the co-producers of the acclaimed fan film series Star Trek Continues, and also an executive producer of Fleet, and also Yorktown, A Time to Heal. He's also one of the producers of this fine podcast, I might add. He's our dear friend and brother Casey Shafsky, and he joins us for his very first appearance on Discovering Trek. Casey, welcome. It's so good to have you here. Hey, guys. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled could not wait all week to be here with you and just like let's let's get into it man it's uh it's good to see you you know we only get to see you like once a year so it's good to see you digitally at least until the next time hopefully where we can reconvene in the desert at stlv we always have a great time man oh absolutely i love that but i mean i do try and send you pictures every week dan so yeah i don't open them anyway uh, gentlemen <laughs> Uh, before the Baul surround us with weapons hot, Bill, perhaps you should tell our listeners how they can get in touch with us to give their thoughts about the sound of thunder. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ganglionic dart weapons are set to full power, buddy. On Twitter, we can be found at Discovering Trek. And on Ye Old Book of Faces, you can catch up to us at Facebook.com slash Discovering Trek. In either place, you can become part of the discussion or even leave us questions or comments uh, the whole nine. We'll pretty much listen to it all. Plus, you can now send us a voicemail by going to our website at TrekGeeks.com and clicking on the giant blue button on the right-hand side. Please do remember, though, that any comments you might leave us could be used in a future episode of Discovering Trek. Dan. Thanks, Bill. 
<laughs> ganglia dart weapon. So funny. <laughs> Black alert. Black alert. From here on in, folks, this episode of Discovering Trek contains spoilers. So if you haven't watched Season 2, Episode 6 of Star Trek Discovery, stop listening right now. Head on over to CBS All Access or wherever you watch Discovery. Watch the latest episode and then head back on over to Discovering Trek. Failure to do that puts you at risk to find out plot developments and character details for The Sound of Thunder. Trainees, to the briefing room. So, gentlemen, as we gather in the briefing room to start our discussion on this week's episode, let's first get your high-level thoughts, as we like to do every week. Uh, Was it a thumbs up? Was it a thumbs down? And why? And Mr. Casey Casey, we will start with you. All right. Thank you, sir. Um, A definite thumbs up for me once again. I think Discovery is really hitting its stride in, in the writing and performances, and this was like the third episode in a row for me, that was really strong. And that came through because I I was hoping that I'd get a Saru-centric or an Ash Fandango-centric episode with you guys. <laughs> and so we got through, and I was like, okay, we're, we're going to be able to dive into Doug Jones just working that character uh, as much as possible. Um uh, and I, I found once again that the larger use of all the characters, especially on the bridge, is is making it a, a, a deeper show for me and a narrative than than uh, when season one. Um, I loved it. Nice. Okay, Bill. How about you, buddy? You know, I have to say, I think this is a fantastic episode. And after the frenzied pace of the last several installments. I think this one is paced very well, and it grows Saru's character in a way that not only gives us answers, but makes us ask even more questions. Uh, this one is an absolute thumbs up for me, and it's a great extension of what they started in uh, in the brightest star uh, over the summer. For me, this you know, I talked about how great the episode was at the beginning. It wasn't the strongest episode of the season for me, but that's not taking away anything from the episode because the season has just been so amazing. It is a big thumbs up for me. The whole idea of tying in the short trek uh, from earlier this season uh, with this episode was brilliant. And as I mentioned before, Bowie and Erica have done an absolutely amazing job giving us that historical information about the Kelpians and the Baul. Uh, And it was a great way for this episode to get back on track with the Red Angel, which really hasn't been the focus for a couple of weeks. Um, I also thought that the Culber aspect of the story was, well, I guess the best way to put it is I felt a little bit differently than I think the majority of people think. And we'll definitely get into that uh, a little bit later. But definitely thumbs up. So, again, three thumbs up, uh, which seems to be uh, what we do every week nowadays on Discovering Trek. That's something I'm perfectly okay with because uh, I, I think it just tells us more about the quality of the writing this season, to be honest. You know, before we get into the discussion points, that's a good thing to talk about, Bill. Um, we've talked on on Trek Geeks um, and when we're talking with fans and such that every series seems to take a little bit of time to really get going. TNG took a couple of seasons. Deep Space Nine took a season. Voyager took seven seasons. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) And um, it it really is amazing to me how fast Discovery has gotten its space legs and is has become one of the strongest storytelling storytelling Star Treks that we have out there. What do you guys think about that, Casey? I agree. I, I think how other series have started up, it seemed to me they they were struggling to find what they were, who they were, and all that. And boy, with just one season under their belt, Discovery comes out, and the the depth and the richness of everything that they're telling us and showing us. So far, uh, I've been really, really happy as a fan of of what they're giving us, and that it's happening so fast in their run. Um, I, I was kind of surprised on how fast it came through, where I'm like, boy, solid episode after solid episode after solid episode. And I'm, I'm thrilled, and I'm thrilled for them, because I think a, a lot of us who are watching it are giving them feedback of... Yep. How, how wonderful 
we think the series is in this season so far. And that's got to be great for them and building points for the future. Absolutely. Bill, your thoughts? You know, I, I think I think you're right. And I think it's, uh, you know, it speaks to the nature of how writing for television has changed. With previous Star Treks, I mean, they were episodic. I mean, they developed amnesia from week to week, and it was a chance to start over at ground zero and begin again with a whole new story. Whereas, and we've talked about this on both Discovering Trek and Trek Geeks, Star Trek Discovery is more like a novel for television that unfolds in X number of chapters. Last week, or sorry, last season, 15 chapters, and this season will be 14 chapters. And it tells one mostly cohesive story over that time. And I think that using that to guide the season has has really elevated the episode quality and the writing quality for Star Trek. And I, I think it's made a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of chapters, let's get right into chapter six for this week's episode of uh, of Discovery, The Sound of Thunder. First thing I want to bring up, I think it's the central part of this episode, is the change that we see in Saru, both physically and in his overall confidence. The confidence is there. The arrogance, dare I say, is there. And we can discuss those points a little bit as we go along. Uh, we saw him blatantly disobey Pike's direct orders in this episode, which was a shock for me. At the same time, we saw that confidence in that funny moment on the bridge where he forgot, quote unquote, to get out of the captain's chair. And Pike's just kind of looking at him like I look at Bill most of the time. Um, it was it was really it was really great to see this change in him. And it made me think just how dependent the Kelpians are on those threat ganglia. Casey, let's start with you. What did you think about what we saw with uh, with Saru this week? I thought what we we saw is is a character who's really learning and and struggling a bit with now that his his fear is repressed. It's not a gone, but as the doctor says, it's it's very repressed. So Saru is really learning how to be himself now in a completely different way. And and I look at it, go, oh, okay. This is this is a person, in a certain way, going through an adolescence of, you know, well, I'm not frightened about everything anymore. And, um, like you said, I have this confidence or strength, and doesn't know how to meter that and be uh, appropriate or be respectful in certain ways, just learning, but by, by no means in any uh, self-centered um, or, or bad way towards others. It's just like, oh, okay, this person's learning. And in fact, I, I loved how, how Pike reacted and didn't react to Saru in this, because I saw in the Pike character is like, boy, he he is giving through a lot of leeway here, and <laughs> yep, right, and realizing <laughs> it's like, okay, you know, this is all new for Saru, so gonna gonna give him some rope, gonna give him some rope, and then when it's like time to go, okay, enough, mm -hmm. some some simple straight, you know, tough love, and and, and there you go. I loved how what I was thinking as I was watching the episode is we have two characters on the show that have essentially been reborn. We've got Saru with this entirely new way of life without his threat ganglia. And we have Culber, who is literally learning how to be alive again. I did like how there was that relation, especially in the scene with sickbay, which we will get into in a little bit later. But, Bill, what do you think about what we saw with Saru? I, I got to say, Casey... Um, and that, Bill, I'll ask you about this as well. You're absolutely right. The the way that the Pike character has developed, he's he realizes what Saru's going through, and he gives him that wide berth until it's time to not give him that wide berth. And I thought that was great. But Bill, what do you think about Saru this week, buddy? I agree entirely. In fact, Casey brought up a great point. This really is kind of an emotional adolescence for Saru. You know, as kids, we're taught what to fear because we don't necessarily enter the world with fear that we know. You know, we, we learn by slamming our hands in, in cabinet doors and, and by you know, doing things that generate pain or, or frustration or, or fear. And Saru doesn't know how to manifest that at this time. So I could see that coming across as a little bit of cockiness. I could see that coming across as maybe not arrogance, but, you know, uh, perhaps acting supremely overconfident in, in a time to overcompensate. But I, I think, uh, yeah, that fear is repressed. And it makes me wonder 
when that other shoe is going to drop. Because really all he's lost is his early warning system to that fear. He hasn't lost the emotion altogether. It will be interesting to see what happens. I liked how, um, as usual, and it seems that we say this week after week, Doug Jones's portrayal of the changes that Saru are going through is going through is again just up on a level that uh, it's just spectacular. And, and, I, and I have a feeling we'll be getting into that a little bit later during. Oh, I don't know, maybe commendations. Uh, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> uh, but Bill, I know that there was one thing as we were putting together the outline for this week's episode. We were talking about one thing, and I know that there was a a a specific. Uh, point that you wanted to bring up why don't you go ahead and and bring into that discussion and then we'll uh, we'll talk about it with casey a little bit yeah in fact i'm going to use a little bit of the uh the, the host chair from last week to maybe pose a question to both of you so there has been some some conversation online as to whether or not general order one has just been thrown out the window you know whether the prime directive is irrelevant because starfleet really shouldn't have interfered here and i i i are are they throwing away the prime directive and and or is it any different than what happened specifically in the original series with Kirk and say I don't know the feeders of Vol or any other race or alien species that they came into contact with Casey let's start with you you know I, I have a lot of mixed uh, thinking about how Starfleet has this 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 one rule. And I get it for a dramatic effect on on, on a show and for narratives and, and storytelling. Um, but boy, uh, it, it seems a lot of captains are just like, yeah, it's kind of there. Yeah, they tell us about it. I'm just going to keep, you know, we're not leaping over this line, but I'll just walk over it and then maybe step back a little bit later on. So on this, I go, I, I don't think, I don't think that they, they broke the order, but it's just to me something that isn't uh, rigid and flat and is, is a black or, or white issue, which very much helps for storytelling so that there can be this gray area and that people have an, an internal and external conflict about this of, boy, we could really mess this up for this whole other civilization, um, or we could help it, and, and then w- what do we do there, and is there, is there a right choice and or a wrong choice? Dan, what about you? Are, are they traipsing a, a fine line here, or is this really no different than, than every other prime directive quandary we've seen? Name me one captain in every Star Trek series that we've seen over the last 50 years who didn't violate the Prime Directive. You can't. They right. all have. The only one who I would say maybe didn't was Archer, but that's because it didn't exist yet. But then when it, they started talking about it in the episode, I believe, what was it, Dr. Doctor? Um, uh, Dear Doctor? Uh, Dear Doctor, yep. Um, then possibly. So I, they said it themselves in this episode. We can bend it as long as we don't break it. I mean, right. you know, I'll, I'll use that as a sports analogy. How many times do the Patriots get into let the team get into the red zone, but they bend but don't break? It just happens. I had to throw that in, Casey. I'm sorry. We just won our sixth championship. <laughs> anyway, um, so I can see where some people may be upset. But when I look at this particular episode, it, what what did Starfleet actually do? that would have broken the prime directive. It's it's hard for me to really come up with specific ways that they didn't. Saru's a Kelpian. He's right. the one that, that went down there. He decided to go on his own. Um, the only thing that Starfleet did that I saw was any question was they were getting ready to go into battle with them. They had nothing to do with what happened. They're not Starfleet's not the Red Angel. They didn't have the Red Angel show up and do what they did in order for uh, all the Kelpians to... Um, to uh, to go through uh, the process where I'm, I'm backtracking a little bit, but if it wasn't for the red angel showing up, it's, it's hard to describe, I guess, as you can tell, cause I'm kind of at a sure. loss for words. 
I think that that a lot of people or those people who have this complaint um, say that that's it wasn't up to Starfleet to reveal to the Kelpians that there was life outside Kaminar other than mm-hmm. the Ba'ul, that they've effectively changed the evolution of the species. Um, I, I can understand that on some level, but I, I think that there was a humanitarian reason to interfere, especially since the Great Balance was essentially a lie. But let me ask you this. So we'll stay on this one, this topic, yeah. because it's it's really a great discussion. Is Starfleet didn't do that? Um, yes, um, Saru is a Kelpian, but he took it upon himself to go down to the planet with uh, Burnham to uh, with Burnham to talk about what was going on. I don't think that that mm, oh God was it a Starfleet decision or was it a Kelpian decision? Just who just happens to be the only one that was in Starfleet. Oh, God, I, I think, we could talk about this for hours. I, I think ultimately it comes down to a Starfleet decision because Pike is the one who sends him down, um, you know, and, and sends Burnham, who obviously, you know, they've never seen an outsider before. They've never mm-hmm. seen the Ba'ul. So, I mean, obviously Burnham was, was very alien to them. I'm not saying I agree with these people. I, th- I don't think that they violated the Prime Directive in any way. Um, I, I think they, they bent it. You know, to to achieve the means, but like you said, Dan, it's like every other captain in every other series. I mean, Benjamin Cisco poisons a planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, Look, and and this is this is certainly nowhere near that. Casey, let me ask you this. Actually, a question for both you guys before I ask my question to Casey: Are the Baul part of Kaminar? Are they speci- were they of that world, or has it been, or was it discussed in the episode that they were not from that world? I'm taking it as they are. So if they are, they have warp capability just because the the Kelpians didn't get warp capability doesn't mean that the prime directive can only be taken in for one part of the planet and not for the other. That makes no sense to me. So if they're a warp capable species, then there's no violation of the prime directive just because they decide to talk to the other people on the planet. That could open up a whole new can of worms because I think we've seen that in other episodes, particularly TNG, where one half of the planet uh, had technology and one didn't, but I, mm-hmm. I think, like I said, they bent it, they didn't break it, and I like that they actually said that during the episode. Casey, what about you? Uh, I, I agree on that because I'm thinking if they're warp capable, it means they have been out in a space, and I, I, I think they are original inhabitants of that planet, and I mean, I kept finding this like when their their base you know is hidden under mm. the lake and i'm going okay you know you're technology superior in 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 many ways uh but have have they contacted other species out in space and and that's something we just don't know because mm-hmm. um, it would be if you're warp capable why why wouldn't you be exploring in some way or another to see what's going on and uh yeah i i i don't think there was any breaking of you know of the general order <laughs> general order 1 prime directive it all changes it's okay it's part of the great balance i suppose speaking of the great balance what a great segue um, let's stay with Kaminar since we've been talking about it a little bit um, and the Ba'ul especially. Uh, I think we all saw the preview the week before of what was going to happen this week. And we saw that creature, the Ba'ul, and then we saw him in the actual episode. Wow. Nightmare looking alien. I thought it was great. And I know a lot of people online have been talking about it's 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 familiar looking and and is it possibly the species that we saw in TNG with Armis when killed Tasha Yar? And I know we got discussion about that. Bill, what do you think in, in regards to that? Personally, I don't think it is, but I, I love the look of them. Oh, I love the look of them too. Initially, I didn't think of Armis when I saw the Baul. I thought of Samara from the ring. Um, because I yes. was that creeped out. <laughs> the hair. Um, yeah, the hair, the little glowy yeah. eye thing. Um, mm-hmm. In an interview with TrekMovie.com, an exclusive interview with them, um, they asked Bowie and Erica if, if there was any similarity between Baul and Armis. And, and their reply was, the resemblance to Armis is merely coincidental. So uh, no Metamucil and black print, printer's ink, uh, I'm <laughs> guessing, for, for the Baul. 
Um, and Jonathan Frakes can rest easy, <laughs> but, um, but man, what a look, certainly some, you know, a, a race, a species to be fearful of. And I think that was conveyed really well. I, fearful of. Yeah. That's a, that's an understatement. You think that they've had warp capability for 20 years. I think they said in the episode, but look at the size of those ships when they surrounded discovery. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm hoping, and I say this kind of, you know, kind of, I'm kind of a nut to say this, but I'm hoping we get to see them again and not in a good way. I would love to see yes. what they have in store. Um, Casey, what did you think about the Baul? And um, you, you remind me of one from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. My, my dark, dark soul. Uh, <laughs> uh I, I loved them. I think they could be an amazing antagonist uh, species in, in the future. And like the the actor who portrayed the main Baul, you know, was in, uh, I believe, Mama, horror movie Mama, which is really good, and Rec, R-E-C. And so I've seen this guy's work before. And it's creepy as hell. It just, <laughs> there is a body vibe and 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 movement in the in this person where you go that just looks unnatural to us mm-hmm. and like I said 20 years warp capable I, I would love to think that hey there's some ships maybe out there that are going to mm-hmm. get this information of what the federation did and decide Mm, we're not kosher with that. We're we're coming to get you, and like I said, the size of their ships, and and the nimbleness of those ships. It wasn't like some lumbering, yeah, s- starship. There, there was there and back out again immediately. I go, boy, these could be some great villains in the future. Absolutely, yeah. Um, uh, going from the scary, let's go to the wonderful. Let's talk about Serana. I was very excited to see her again. She, I, I, unfortunately, I don't, I don't have the name of the actress. I know I should have Hannah it, I Spear. Her name is Hannah. Yeah, Hannah was, it was so great to see her in the short trek. It was great to see her again. She, like Doug Jones, is able to, to just show the emotion that is hidden under all of that makeup. I don't know how they do it, but I, I got to give her a big thumbs up to what she did. It was great to see her. And I love the fact that they left it wide open for us to see her again. Bill, what did you think about her? I agree with you all around. I, I think I thought she was fantastic in in The Brightest Star this summer. And I thought she was even even better here. I liked that she became a priest for her village mm-hmm. to try to become closer to that light that, that took Saru. I thought that was a great way for, for her character to grow in that regard. And I love that she said to him, you know, I, I hope that you would come back, but I never wanted you to come back because that meant you were free at that point. I mean, I got tears in my eyes. I'm like, Oh my God, oh my God this is beautiful. Oh my God, this is so awesome. And I just thought she was the perfect match for Saru. Uh, I thought that Doug Jones and, and, and Hannah Spear played very well opposite each other. And yeah, I, I absolutely hope to see Serana again because I'd like to see what happens to her and the Kelpians after this. Casey, one of the things that I liked about her character in this episode is she's excited that Saru is alive, obviously, and is back. But at the same time, that brother-sister dynamic certainly comes out, and she just mm-hmm. takes him to task for what he did. And I thought that was a great aspect. You know, you get this great reunion of, of brother and sister, but look what you did. I thought that was yeah. a great part of the episode. What do you think? Oh, oh, absolutely. It, it, it reminds me of a family dynamic where I go, you know, if – if you're all going walking out on a trail in the forest and your you know your brother barrels ahead on the trail and you can't see him and you get a little bit scared and he comes running back and everything's fine and so first off you're like thrilled like ah oh, I love you this is great and then you go and don't you ever do that again because <laughs> you had freaked out and I pissed off and oh man I'm just gonna oh and I was like that that right there I go oh. Anyone who's had a sibling goes, oh, I know that dynamic. Yeah, I've been mm-hmm. there, done that. Yeah. And she's strong and uh, amazing. And it's like, boy, if, if they are two examples of, of their, their species of, you know, 
what they were to what they are and then what they can be. This the storytelling is infinite there. It is the the storytelling. Uh, one of the best parts about Discovery is the storytelling. So it was good to see her. Let's go back up in orbit for a minute or two and talk about what is, as far as I'm concerned, Pike's Starship Discovery right now. This guy, Anson Mount, has just been week after week has been just just blowing it out of the box. He's been fantastic. We talked about it a little bit more, but let's talk about it here. The way he deals with Saru and the way he deals with the Ba'ul, he is a badass. And I can't mm-hmm. say enough how happy I am that they cast Anson for this role. This is the Pike that everybody's been wishing for for over 50 years since we saw him in the cage. And I am thrilled of the storytelling that has gone on specifically with Pike. Uh, let's start with Bill this time. What do you think, man? Because I, I, I have a feeling that you are Pike all the way. I am Team Pike. Um, you know, Anson Mount has now portrayed this character for more screen time than anybody else in the history of Star Trek. To me, this is his role. You know, uh, Jeffrey Hunter may have originated it. Bruce Greenwood may have played it really well in the Kelvin movies. But I tell you what, Anson Mount has made this Christopher Pike his own, and he ranks right up there with the greatest of Starship captains on purpose. The way this character is written and the way he's portrayed is uh, I want him up there next to Kirk and Picard and Cisco and Janeway and Archer. He belongs there because that's how solid this starship captain is. He's what you want in a starship captain. And uh, it couldn't be a better choice casting wise. I'm glad you said that because that was going to be my question. Do you think that when you have these collages of all the great Starfleet captains and they always focus in on just the shows, should he be in that collage now? And I definitely think the answer is yes. What about you, Casey? Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, you're, you're seeing a, a, a character who's like f- f- a 3D fully evolved character. Th- this, yeah. isn't, this isn't, a, a, you know, a flat-sided anything. Um, the, the acting, and I go back to this also, the writing for this character uh, to be able to be portrayed in this way uh, is is amazing yeah he he is a badass but with um thought and contemplative actions and just someone and i go oh this character but someone and i go yeah i want to follow i want to follow that guy okay he knows what's going on and when a character has that and there's certain things like with michael i go yeah i want to follow her there, there's just this uh, gravitas and almost a, whew, I, I, I'm glad he's here instead of the previous dude. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I know one way that we could end the argument if, if people were to come back and say, oh, no, 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 you can only have the captains on there for ones that have been captains of a show. Captain Pike show. Bill, you said it. <laughs> I, I still want a Captain Pike show. That would be amazing. After this, I want to see you know him go back to the Enterprise, and we get mm-hmm. uh, that five year mission. I would love it. It would be fantastic. Well, let's go. Um, let's talk about one more thing in regards to this week's episode. We haven't talked about it yet. It was it was very small screen time this week, but I think it it had a it had a very strong reaction, and that's Doctor Culber. The return of Dr. Culber, he's in sickbay. And I'm going to give you my points first, and I think I'm going to be in the not popular category with what I'm going to say. I, I had a problem with it. I didn't. It wasn't what I hoped for, and it wasn't what I was expecting. I was hoping for a very uh, – I was hoping for a much more positive return with Culber. We saw it a little bit when he came back last week. This week, I was, I was kind of crushed uh, yeah, I know he's got to figure out who he is. Um, it just it bothered me. He's definitely in turmoil. And to be honest, when I was watching the scenes with him and how he was wincing when people were getting close, and especially when Stamets touched where his scar should be, all I was thinking about was the movie Pet Cemetery and how when they come back, things aren't right. And I'm now I'm worried that something like that could be on the horizon for Dr. Culber. And I hope I'm wrong because I talked about last week, how elated I was in the humanity piece that they're going to have that second chance. And I hope they're able to have that second chance. But right now 
he looks like someone who is who doesn't know what to do, doesn't know who he who he is, and and the thing that scared me the most is for the most part he had no emotion in his body language, in his eyes, in the way that he talked, and it scared me a little bit. Casey, what did you think about those scenes? Am I wrong? Um, I I don't think you're wrong. I I what I'm seeing is a character that has so much PTSD and is is struggling and what what um i'm looking forward to is is seeing the resolution like you're talking about but that it's not gonna be a fast resolution you know when he was in that network and on his own for everything it's like what what does that do to a person and then when you come back and you have support around you, but you, you aren't the same. And then how do you, how do you work with that of letting people know, letting yourself know, I'm not the same. This may take a while, and I don't know exactly how I'm, I'm going to get through it. Um, I, I, I... I don't like seeing the character suffering, but I like I like in this that there's time being taken so it's not, you know, one week later and everything's fine. Um, and I think that'll make it much more emotionally satisfying for all of us when whatever conclusion comes, because it's like none of us want to see anyone suffer. And... And, and, and seeing that we can relate to certain things and then go, oh, boy, I, I hope he's getting better. I hope he's getting better. And, and we'll find out how that happens. And, and I think that will lead to a satisfying conclusion. I do like what you brought up in the fact that it's not going to be next week. He's fine. Like Worf's broken spine. And next week he was, he was all set. So I do like that aspect, Bill. I know that you've got some strong feelings about what happened in those, uh, in the scenes with six Bay, six Bay, six Bay, six Bay this week. So, uh, let's hear what you got, man. Is that kind of like seven Bay and eight Bay? Yeah. You can just tell us what you think. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to get too deep into some of these points because I'm, it might be a spoiler alert for my Starfleet commendations earlier, but I I will say Dan, like you, I did pick up a bit of the pet cemetery vibe, but unlike you, I think it's really effective. Um, Going back to what Casey said, I absolutely think that the PTSD plays into it. And I think that it's part of a longer arc. I think that, uh, right now, it's uh, it's okay that he has those reactions because I think that he has to relearn who Hugh Culber is again, and he has to relearn why he loves Paul Stamets. And I think that the love that, that Stamets has for him is ultimately what's going to get him through this. I think that this is part of the love story, and I don't think that that's going to fall by the wayside. So um, I, I do have a lot to say about this scene later on, but uh, hopefully that, uh, that whets your appetite until then. Nice. I will say that it was crushing for me to see the love that was pouring out of Stamets in that scene and getting Mm -hmm. nothing back. I felt horrible for him and another uh, amazing acting job by everybody involved in that scene. Well, gentlemen, we have reached that moment of discovering Trek where we take a moment to pause and reflect on those that we've lost in this episode of Star Trek Discovery. It's the somber part of the show, but we feel it's the least we can do for those who have paid the ultimate price. We like to call it the Red Shirt Roll Call. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. So, you know, Bill, with all the death we saw in season one, the section's getting a little boring here in season two, actually. I mean, I don't like death just as much as the next guy. But uh, let's see, a couple of weeks ago, we didn't have anybody in the red shirt roll call. Last week, we actually had a minus one. I don't even know how that happens, but it did. Uh, So what's up with this week, buddy? Well, Dan, this week... We say goodbye to a whole lot of ganglia. It's just about every Kelpian alive went through the Vaharai <laughs> and learned that there's more to life. I'm here to tell you, man, that's a lot of soup in the Mary universe. Okay? <laughs> 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 a lot of soup. 
a lot mm-hmm. of soup. So, you know, where normally we provide a solemn remembrance of those who made the ultimate sacrifice in the redshirt roll call, today we celebrate a new future for Saru's Kelpian brothers and sisters, my friend. Congratulations, Kaminarians, Kelpians. Never really understood that. But anyway, we're going to raise a glass of Synthahol and toast those departed ganglionic apparatus from our beloved Saru and Kelpians everywhere in this week's Red Shirt Roll Call. This week's episode is brought to you by Fansets, the exclusive sponsor for Discovering Trek. And Dan, we're thrilled to have them back for another season. Uh, Available now is the amazing Disco Enterprise pin released earlier this month. It is bold and it's beautiful, and it's just the latest Star Trek pin available from Fansets. Now, you have to check out all of their amazing line of pins at fansets.com. Do yourself a favor. Head on over to their site, put a bunch of pins or maybe some pin accessories or maybe some more pins. The bottom line here is put stuff in your cart. And then at checkout, be sure to enter this week's exclusive checkout code, Kaminar. That's K-A-M-I-N-A-R in all capital letters. Do that and you're going to get 15% off your entire order at fansets.com. Now, this code is going to be available until... Sunday, March 3rd, 2019 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, Bill, you actually have that beautiful Disco Enterprise pin. I do not have it yet. I am jealous. I am going to order it. Um, And in addition to that pin for the month of February... Okay, thank you. He just showed me the pin, kind of. Um, (laughs) So we are very happy to announce the latest in the Trek Tech series of pins is now available. It's the TOS Tricorder, and you can get that both at trekgeeks.com slash pins or at fansets.com. But that is not all, gentlemen. Fansets is happy to announce their Star Trek releases for the month of March and they're dropping right here for the first time on what those are going to be. We're going to see Mirror Universe Landry dropping on March 1st, which is awesome. Team Landry all the way, baby. And then uh, in the middle of the month, we're going to see Voyager's Tom Paris dropping on March 15th. So that's pretty cool also. Plus, the recently announced Uniform Series sets of pins will be debuting soon. You heard that right. The Uniform Series will have actual fabric from the set of Discovery included inside the pin. The guys and girls at Fansets are just geniuses. So save up your Latinum, save up your credits, or save up your Quatloos because Fansets has some awesome stuff on the horizon. Fansets, we are Star Trek. And as always, we thank our friends at Fansets for being our exclusive sponsor for the entire season of Discovering Trek. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human. The Star Trek has always been a reflection of our times, and in this segment, we're going to take a look at what this episode helps us discover about humanity, or perhaps even what it tells us about ourselves. Uh, Bill, let's start with you this week, uh, my friend. Uh, What do you have in terms of your sensor analysis? Well, um, this weekend on StarTrek.com, I have a piece that's being published on what Saru has taught me about my anxiety. And, and after this episode, I, I think I actually now have to write a follow-up piece. <laughs> uh, every Kelpian in existence knows now a life without their early warning system. And while that may in theory give them a life without fear, it might also make them more fearful in the long run. Before, they had a certain spider sense that something was wrong. It makes me ask if this might have the opposite effect on some of them. I think there's still going to be things to learn from Saru and the Kelpians about going boldly, something that I and others with anxiety sometimes have true difficulty doing. But I think that that's an experience we're still going to go on together with them. Casey? Um, I, I took away from this episode a lot about um, courage and, and strength. Um and that we all have an inner strength to do things or, or, or face things that frighten us. And sometimes we're the catalyst for the change. Sometimes someone else is, is our champion. Um, but that taking risks and taking challenges to, to things that uh, just, just to the, our core can frighten us or scare us is 
is an amazing thing to do because that that's the courage to to face what scares you and and do certain things and whether it's you know heights or small places or whatever that um when when you have the courage to do something you change you change who you are and it it they can be incremental steps or or they can be a, a, you know a drastic evolutionary step um and boy in this this episode i just kept thinking of, about how we are all changing each day and and some people are uh scared to face that some people embrace it some people accept it uh reluctantly but that we are all i think we're all stronger inside than we allow ourselves credit for and seeing the characters in this episode on on how they're changing um made me reflect on that for myself and for other people i gotta admit that this week it was a little hard for me to to really focus in on something for this piece but you know, I, the best I could do is that, you know, sometimes life takes us on adventures that we look forward to or that we're not prepared for. Saru was both looking forward to and wasn't prepared for his adventure when he left Kaminar to join Starfleet. You know, leaving home, whether voluntary or involuntary, is, is never easy. And I give credit to Saru for making the most of it over the last 18 years. But as we've seen over the last couple of episodes now, that yearning for home is very strong in him. And it actually made me think about Odo and his wanting to return home to the Great Link on Deep Space Nine. Great Link. Great balance. Hmm. Anyway, Saru got to see firsthand the changes and the consequences of his leaving um, and what they had on his village and more importantly to his sister. But even with the realization of what was happening and what had happened for the years that he was gone, he was truly happy to be home. Home. Family. It's important. It holds so many memories. And if I've appreciated anything over what has happened with, we, with me, my wife, and my family over the course of the last week, it's that home is always that. Home. And it's a place we will always have that strong connection to. Commendations, palm leaf of Axanar Peace Mission, Grand Kite Order of Tactics, Class of Excellence, Frenteris Ribbon of Commendation. Okay, Casey and Bill, it's time for some awards. We've talked a little bit about what we might see here. Let's see what you picked this week to receive your Starfleet commendations. Casey, let's start with you. Okay, well, uh, you know, Hannah Spear, I can't can't say enough about her acting and like we've talked about earlier, um, but for she and Doug to be able to emote and act so effectively through all the prosthetics, I mean, contact lenses where you're not even seeing their eyes. So th- the vocal range that she had, I, I, I was thrilled with. Um, also loved the the dialogue, the written the dialogue, so no on the nose speaking from Pike to Saru. Um, I, I found that uh, different and refreshing. And then lastly, the Kelpians, man, they cle- keep their beaches pristine. <laughs> that's, okay, that's good. No litter on Kaminar. Heck no. Well, excellent, excellent choices. I'm going to say for my accommodations this week, the first one has got to go to Bowie Kim and Erica Lippold. Um, These two amazing people continue to define what the Star Trek universe future holds for us as fans. Um, Another brilliantly written story, and as well as being in charge of the new Section 31 series that was announced recently, I can say for a fact that the future of Trek has never looked better, and these two amazing women are the reason why. My second one's going to go to Anson Mount. Uh, we've talked about it already. Uh, we've known since episode one how great Anson is as Captain Pike. Uh, we've seen how he handles different situations, but the scenes he had on the bridge this week, and in particular when he was communicating with the Ba'ul, were just simply awesome. I would not want to get on his bad side ever. 
Um, once again, uh, CBS Anson Mount needs to have a Captain Pike series. I'm just going to throw that out there for you. It's just a little little bait, you know, reel it in, sign them, do it. Seven seasons, let's get it done. F- well, five seasons, and we know it's going to add end bad, but that's okay. Anyway, um, also Doug Jones <laughs> <laughs> got to throw out uh, kudos again. You know, I was looking back. I think in this in the um, six episodes so far this season, Doug has received a commendation from me. I think four times. And each one is so well-deserved. His ability to show character emotion when hidden under all that latex is nothing short of genius. And that moment when Serana beamed off Discovery and he exhaled was just a moment of pure, unfiltered emotion Mm. from the actor. I thought it was beautiful. Polish up the Emmy Award, people, and etch Doug Jones's name on it right now. Bill? Well, you know, I teased this just a little bit ago, but I have to give my first commendation to Wilson Cruz and Anthony Rapp. That scene with the two of them in sickbay is literally fantastic. You can feel the unconditional love from Stamets, and you can feel the uncertainty and, and the difference in Culber and the stress and the trauma. And there's just so much here that happens in the reactions alone, completely separate from the dialogue. And it is performed fantastically and beautifully. Yeah, it is awkward, and it's supposed to be. And it gives you all the feels on both sides of that spectrum. My second commendation is Doug Jones. You know, I I cannot say enough about this wonderfully, beautifully talented man and what the character of Saru means to me. The evolution of Saru is an emotional journey for so many people, and I am 100% invested in it. Doug Jones makes being Saru look so effortless, and that's a testament to how truly incredible he is in this role. And then lastly... My third commendation goes to Bowie and Erica and Doug. Just like on The Brightest Star, I simply, I have to give a commendation to, to writers Bowie Kim and Erica LaPolt and also to director Doug Arniakoski. This is the perfect follow-up to the short trek and a fantastic canon-building episode of Star Trek. It really is. Long-range scan of planet complete. Gentlemen, what is next for Star Trek Discovery, here we're going to give our thoughts uh, on what's going to happen next week or maybe even further along in the season. I, I had a Matrix feel when I saw the coming attractions for next week. I'm going to throw that out there right now. Um, for me, I'll start here with uh, with my long-range scan. You know, something's going to happen to Section 31. Something that's going to require them to become the super secret organization it is when Deep Space Nine rolls around. It's way too open right now, and everybody has been saying that. They have comm badges. They have ships with cloaking technology and holographic technology, and everybody seems to know Section 31. Something's going to take place with regards to the Red Angel and how this all wraps up, and it's going to make that organization fall into one of absolute secrecy and autonomy. Casey, what do you got? Um, I, I Unfortunately, I think that the Ash character is is going to die in this season. And I actually think that uh, Giorgio is going to be the cause of that. Uh, she's going to put him in a situation in, in Section 31, and and he's going to pay the, the price for that. Um, I'm also wondering on this, since, you know, time travel aspects were brought up with the Red Angel, is, mm-hmm. is the Red Angel Michael from the future? I, I don't know, but I, I, that just struck me as a as a possibility, and then I, and, and I think that there's going to be a, a rocky road ahead for Doctor Culber, um, throughout throughout the season. Three long range scans. That's a lot of scanning. You should be in science, <laughs> Bill. What about you, man? I don't know. I'm not that bright. I shouldn't be in science. I'm going to tell you that right now. Um, <laughs> see, you know, at the end, I, I've been feeling cocky. You know, uh-huh. last week on Discovering Trek, we revealed that I was right about Culber. I finally had a prediction come true. Yay. Congratulations. Uh, and so I'm, one, I'm one for everything. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Every now and then, right? <laughs> um, so I, I'm going to double down on a prediction I had a, a couple of weeks ago. And Casey has touched on this a little bit. Um, I think that the Red Angel is a time-traveling Michael Burnham from the future. And uh, I don't know why yet. There's got to be some reason. But you figure the Red Angel has always been in some proximity to her, with the exception of uh, the people on Earth that were were uh, taken to Terra Alicia. 
Um, somehow the Red Angel may not necessarily be tied to Spock as we think, but I think it has something to do with Michael and I think it's because it's her. So that's, uh, that's my long range scan for now. Let me throw something out there to you guys. And even though it's, we're still in long range scan, it, it might not go to it. Do you think that it is that, that people writing, not necessarily just for discovery, but for other things are using the idea of time travel a little too much these days? I just thought of that as you were talking about it, Bill. Uh, possibly, but it's, it's something that always engages people. You know, it's always mm. worked in Star Trek whenever it's tried. Yes. You know, yep. some of Star Trek's most successful outings have been time travel stories, whether it's sure. Star Trek for the voyage home or Star Trek first contact or, or, uh, or Voyagers, uh, the one where they went to present day LA at the time or you name mm-hmm. it. Um, okay. so time travel always works. Casey, do you feel the same? I, I think so because I think it hits us in a, a, a primal, aspect of ourselves of boy don't we wish we could go back and redo certain things and go literally like oh god if i could just have not done that or if i could just have done that boy that'd be great so so i think that part of this storytelling as long as it's not massively overused can really hit home with us and and resonate Nice. In, well, in the immortal words I, of that sage observer of our times, share. If I could turn back time, Dan, oh I'd find a way. <laughs> find a way. And you said it as Kirk, so that was even better. Very nicely done. <laughs> <laughs> if I could find a way to go back an hour from now. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of time travel, let's jump ahead to the next segment, guys, and let's talk about what we're going to see next week. Next week is the halfway point of this season, episode seven out of 14. So, Bill, what's coming up? Dan, next week we're going to consider episode seven of this season of Star Trek Discovery entitled Light and Shadows. Will we finally see our beloved Vulcan science officer? We're going to see, and joining us to examine this episode will be our good friend Thad Haight from the Voyager podcast, Delta Flyer. Until then, remember you can subscribe to Discovering Trek by searching for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or by heading on over to discoveringtrek.com. Plus, now you can support Discovering Trek and the Trek Geeks Network of Podcasts by subscribing to bonus content via Patreon. Get access to our exclusive carpool conversations, see the first of our annual supporters pins, and check out the exclusive Podfleet t-shirt along with so many other perks. And, you know, speaking of Patreon, Bill, we want to take a moment to recognize the following amazing producers of Discovering Trek. We are so thankful for their support. And they include Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, guy sounds familiar, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Lionel Marchand, Craig Ewing, Sean O'Halloran, Chris Trebuzio, Eric Extreme, Norman Lau, Mike Bovia, and Patrick Escudero. Now, if you'd like to become a producer of Discovering Trek or even get access to the raw audio for Discovering Trek episodes like this one, head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks. Well, Casey, man, it's so great to finally have you here on Discovering Trek. Had a good time, as we always do, whether it's digitally or in person. Uh, Your company is always appreciated. Love hanging out with you and talking Star Trek. Where can people find you online, my good man? Well, you can find me on IMDb of, with uh, projects that I'm working on right now, and and that's that's about it right now. We have a lot of things that are being worked on that will be coming out later this year. Um, that I, I you know some are very Trek oriented and others are not. So that that's where I am. I'm in the ether. <laughs> He's a busy, busy guy, and 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 best of luck with all of those projects, man. I'm sure they're going to be awesome. And maybe we'll have you on again. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I would love it. it and b- before you sign off, because I want th- everybody to hear this, that you two guys are two of the most sincere, amazing, deep people that I've met. And I'm extremely thankful to be able to be a part of your guys' lives and and just know that I, I have never heard a, a single bad word, multiple words, but not a single bad word about you guys. Um, But down deep, thank you very much for this opportunity. I I love hanging out with you. Well, we love hanging out with you too, buddy. Well, folks, that's it for us and our discussion on The Sound of Thunder. 
Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter to let us know what you thought about the episode and about Discovering Trek as well. We thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to listen to us talk about this amazing new chapter in the Star Trek universe. And we look forward to sitting down again next week to talk about Episode 7. Until then, here are some words of wisdom from Captain Christopher Pike. Sometimes it's wise to keep our expectations low. That way, we're never disappointed. And until next week, never stop discovering. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original Star Trek. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, is a production of Trek Geeks. Executive producer Dan Davidson. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out the Trek Geeks podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and trekgeeks.com.